you've got to understand that you've got the human part, you've got the mind, you've got the soul, and you've got the spirit, and they all need to be addressed. You can't just do with one. And it's kind of like the wellness wheel. Yeah, you got to take care of the physical body, eat right, sleep, all that. You got to take care of the stress. You got to take care of your emotions. And you've got to take care of your spiritual life and what that looks like. And your deal with the concept of God. Deal with what do you think death is going to look like? Because we put it off and anybody can die at any age. It's not something for old people. And I certainly didn't think I was going to die at 19. I really didn't know. It's like that never even entered my head. Do you want to wake up feeling like you're stepping into who you're meant to be into the best possible version of you? What if I told you that the key to your best life, health and happiness are all around you? You just have to find what works for you. I'm Hope Pedraza, and I believe that there isn't just one way to live a healthy and meaningful life, and that all you need is a little inspiration to make changes that last from the inside out. Each week, I'll be sharing tangible tips and inspirational interviews to help you on your journey. These are the steps to take to improve your life and live with purpose. This is Hopeful and Wholesome. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Today, I have on the show Nicole Kerr. Nicole is the award-winning health expert and best-selling author of You Are Deathless, a near-death experience taught me how to fully live and not fear death. Now, this book is based on an incident that she experienced. She was 19 years old, a cadet in the U.S. Air Force. And because of this experience, she had this near-death experience. She would be forced to learn how to live and love differently following this crazy, terrifying, and transformative experience. Her memory of the crash came back 20 years later, and it has taken Nicole almost another two decades to really align her soul, her spirit, her mind, and her body, proving healing is really not a linear process. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about her book and talk about this experience. She's going to tell you exactly what happened with this near-death experience and how it's completely transformed her life and how she views her life, the things she learned that she was here to teach us on this planet, which she is doing an amazing job at and really how it's changed her relationship with herself and with God. This is a crazy story, y'all. It's really awesome. There's so many good nuggets in here to take away with just how to really live in alignment. And I'm excited to bring it to y'all. Let's jump in. All right, y'all. Let's jump in. I'm here with Nicole and I am so excited to share, to have her share her story with you and for us to jump in on this near-death experience that completely transformed her life and all of the lessons that she learned from that. Thank you so much for joining me today, Nicole. Oh, Hope, I am delighted, excited, and grateful to be here with you. And I'm looking forward to our conversation today and hope it can help people. Totally. Me too. Me too. I can't wait for you to share. So let's I feel like the only way to start this episode is for you to start <laughs> just to share this story about this near-death experience and just your experience with that situation. Okay. Well, I grew up in the South in Mississippi and I, my dad was in the military. He actually was a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy and he wanted one of us four kids to follow in his footsteps. So me being uh, the people pleaser that I am, <laughs> let me wait, let me back that up. Recovering people pleaser. Yes, there pleaser. you go. I'm with okay. you there. I'm with you there. <laughs> okay. Because that is an identity that does not serve any of us. Yeah. So if you're dealing with that, please note that that you don't wind up at the end of the day feeling good. Yep. So anyhow, I decided I never was interested in airplanes or any of that kind of stuff. But because my dad wanted one of us to go there, they had started admitting women in 1976 to the service academies. And so my class was the class of 86. The first one graduated in 80. So I applied and to my shock, I got accepted. And so it's quite a process to go through to get the nomination and to get accepted into the service academies. Yeah. So there's no going back. You know, it's like once (laughs) once I got the call and said, you're accepted, I couldn't get out of it, so to speak. So I knew three weeks into boot camp that this was not for me um, (laughs) and not for my soul. And we got a three minute phone call home. And I remember calling my mother picked up and I cried the entire time. I was just dry heaving. I didn't get to say one word. I just heard her voice and it was just, (gasps) and three minutes of that. Okay. And then the commander (laughs) says, Nicole, off the phone, go get yourself together. And my mother later said to me, 
I looked at our, I looked at my husband and I said, what have we done to her? And he's like, oh, she'll be fine. But I wasn't fine. From there, I had to go to remedial because I was having such a tough time with it, you know, so that was even worse. But that was my first panic attack. And I didn't realize it until much, much later, you know, how much fear and terror I was living in that whole time and how my amygdala was just in fight, flight or freeze the entire time. Because especially your first year, it is abusive. I don't care what anybody said. It's physically abusive. It's mentally abusive. It's emotionally abusive. And for men and well, for women being admitted and some men is sexually abusive. Mm. So you have all four of those that you're having to deal with on a daily basis. And it's just, you just never turn off that constant alert sign, that hyper alertness. Okay. Well, going into, I I survived the first year by the grace of God. Don't ask me how, but I did. (laughs) And then going into the second year, I really still wanted to quit, but couldn't. My soul still was like, it's going to get harder academically. Mm -hmm. It's going to be, you know, I'm like, I am, I was taking engineer double E. I was like electrical engineering. I don't know the first thing about engineering. I could care less about engineering. I just want to flip on the switch and know that I'm going to get electricity, you know? (laughs) That's not my interest at all. And that's what the, the program is designed for those kind of sciences, you know? Right. And I was like, in organic chemistry, I was like, oh my God, I got other there with a D and I was just like excited, but it was just very, I don't, my brain doesn't work that way. You know, carbon molecules. I was like, what am I doing here? And so at the beginning of the year, we had a squadron event. And I got there later in the day because I earlier in the day, I had been with the Commandant of Cadets trying to recruit new high school students and he wanted a female there. And so here I am not really wanting to be there telling young girls, oh yeah, it's great. Come yeah. on, you know, <laughs> <laughs> totally out of alignment there, right? Uh, so we go to the the park. This was uh, like a, a softball game and they had beer there and the, the officers were drinking and the cadets were drinking. And as it came time to leave, I was the last one to leave with, uh, as a senior, if I could have a ride back, he was in a Corvette convertible and needless to say, he had other ideas and you have to remember, I come from a very conservative home. We went to two different churches, Southern Baptist and Lutheran. Okay. I spent a lot of time in church and it was very fear-based, mm-hmm. especially the, the Baptist church, you know, very much of God is duality. He's good and he's loving on one hand. And then if you don't follow the rules, he's punitive, judgmental, and the Mm -hmm. wrath of God will come on you and you go to hell for all eternity and be separated. So scared the wee-wee out of kids, okay? I mean, really terrorized. (laughs) Totally. totally. It really really was terrible of what they do, but especially at those ages when you're six and seven and you're going in there and you're trying to individuate as a human. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're putting these you know, God is the most important thing. So you better be a good girl, you know, so then you get into that people pleasing and your vision of God becomes like my dad became my image of God, you know, earthly God was heavenly God, so to Mm -hmm. speak, you know, Mm -hmm. so if I wasn't pleasing my earthly father, that meant I wasn't pleasing my heavenly father, right? uh, Just real dogmatic views of the way you were supposed to live your life. So I never dated. Okay. So here I am going to school with 4,000 guys. My dad's rule were no drinking, no smoking, and no dating cadets. So <laughs> when my this accident happened, this guy had said, oh, I want to stop at a bar for a couple of drinks before we get back. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, okay, I'm going to have some fun. I'm always just really like trying to control things and mm-hmm. be a good girl. And then He's like, you want a cigarette? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to do what normal college kids do, you know? Right. And and then I remember the bartender saying to him, are you okay to drive? And he said, yeah. And then he wanted to stop and watch the Rocky Mountain View. And I thought, uh-oh, this is like, he had a whole agenda here that he, <laughs> yes. that, that he wanted to make out. And, uh, oh, and I was not, you know, uh-huh. privy to it until we were sitting there and he wants to kiss me. And I'm going, oh you know, we need to get back. It's 7.35. We got to get back. I don't want to get in trouble, you know. Right, um, right. So we get back on the road. And that's the last thing I remember until I woke up in the ICU mm. uh, at Penrose Community Hospital. And so when I woke up, I said, you know, what 
happened. And if you can see that picture, holy cow, that is a 1965 Corvette convertible. That is the passenger side. And you know, oh it's, gosh. it's just unsurvivable. So hundred percent. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If y'all well, just listening here, if you can just imagine the most mangled vehicle you've ever seen, that's what it looks like. Holy cow. So I made the front page of the paper. Nicole, the way you, <laughs> not the way you wanted. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, oh, and this holy. was the first picture I, four weeks into oh, ICU, gosh. that was the first picture that was taken of me. I spent, I detail this in the book immensely because I had no memory for 19 years except bright white lights. You know, I had nothing. I just remember leaving the scene at the Rocky Mountains, like overpass, and then waking up in the hospital other than bright white lights. And so I spent seven weeks in ICU. Mm -hmm. I had just multiple injuries. I was pronounced dead at the scene of the mm-hmm. accident. So that's where the, the NDE actually happens is there was, this was at a park. And so it's a, if anybody's been to Colorado Springs where the Academy is back in the eighties, there was, uh, it was way far out, like in the country. Mm. So, um, there happened to be a house close by the people heard it. They came out, they checked me and the, and the driver and, The driver was conscious and Mm. he was drunk Mm. and he had some injuries on his back. So then they took a look at me and couldn't get any kind of vitals. So they went in and got a blanket and covered me up. So they called 911. By the time the volunteer rescue unit got there, it was at least 10 to 15 minutes that I was dead. You were dead. So yeah, 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 out, covered up. So when... EMT John Hartling got there. He was the first volunteer. He said, I don't take bystanders' words. He flipped the blanket back. He started trying to get vitals. He could understand why they thought I was dead. And then they did what they call a sternal knuckle press, Mm -hmm. which is very painful and it's designed to elicit pain in Mm -hmm. the body. And my right pupil flinched and the pupil dilated. So the, the eye just kind of flinched. Mm-hmm. That was the only sign of life. And so Hope, what do we say about the soul and the eyes? It's the window to the soul, right? There you go. Yeah. 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 yeah yes. <laughs> so at that wow. moment, as he was working on me, my soul, which had flown out earlier, flew back into my I just got goosebumps. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> From, and into my eye. Okay. And so that's how it came came in. That was the portal it came back through. And from that moment on, he was able to get a blood pressure. It was 60 over zero. Mm. So you can still see I was critical. They had to do CPR on me all the way to the hospital. I had broken both my uh, my pelvis, my foot, left foot was cut off. My, oh my, uh, gosh. my arm was... The wrist was uh, severed. They had to pin that back. Oh. Bad road burn, cut up the insides of my leg. I mean, I was bleeding from the bone at that point, oh. which means extreme, extreme shock. So they got me to the nearest community hospital. It was not, not a trauma hospital. And I had a team of doctors on call. I wound up with nine different specialists on my team. But the head of the, the head surgeon was a maverick. She was the first woman graduate of Jefferson Medical College in Philadelphia. Wow. And then she became the first female surgeon in Colorado Springs. And she happened to get the pager that night at her house to come and work on me. And I went back to the scene in 2008 and interviewed Mm -hmm. each of these people, the paramedic, the doctor, and then the nurse that was with me the whole four Mm -hmm. months. She's OCD, which was what I needed. I actually yeah. had two nurses on my care shift the whole time because yeah. I was so sick wow. and and stayed sick. I was very volatile. I would start to get better. And then it was like, shoosh, mm-hmm. um, six major operations, two code blues in the nose. So at one point, they actually told my parents in the chapel that I had died on the operating room table and they called the time of the death. And then my parents said, two minutes later, here comes the surgical nurse saying your heart's going again. You know, so, so you died um, twice, basically. Well, actually, three times. Oh um, my gosh. Uh, yeah. So another was my lungs were filling up with fluid and I was actually drowning and suffocating right. and couldn't right. breathe. Oh and 
So I didn't want to be here is what I take from that. Right? You're trying your hardest. Trying to leave. And, uh, and oh now I gosh. know why I was trying to leave. So um, anyhow, 64 pints of blood. That's like oh redoing your system God. eight yeah. times. You oh, know, yeah. I, had, I woke up, one surgery had a colostomy on me. Now, mind you, I'm mm. 19 years old. I'd never had sex before. And here I have this bag of my intestine hanging out for pooping. And right. I was just like, I couldn't even stand to look at it. How yeah. is some guy going to stand to look at it and it have sex? You know, it was just, there were so many things that were overwhelming to me. And I was living in a constant state of fear, panic, impending doom and dread that I didn't know every day if I was going to live or if I was going to die. Yeah. Seriously, for yeah. almost four months, that's that was my emotional state. And my mother did come out and stay the whole, whole time. And then they transferred me back home to rehab because I basically became an infant again. Mm -hmm. I couldn't walk. I couldn't go to the bathroom. I couldn't do anything on my own. Mm -hmm. So I'm very codependent with my mother because all my other friends were off in college and having a good time. And here I was just trying to write with my right, right hand right. Oh, and do an right. occupational therapy and yeah. just uh, physically healing. But I will tell you the one thing my they did say, you know, Nicole's going to, the doctor said Nicole's going to need some mental health counseling. This mm -hmm. is definitely trauma. And yeah. my mother and dad are very religious, you know, like mm -hmm. I said, and they said, no, God is our psychiatrist mm -hmm. and psychologist. She'll be fine. Yeah. And they were wrong. Yeah. I did need help. And what happened was as soon as I went to live with my sister in Dallas, I developed an eating disorder, mm -hmm. I, um, compulsive eating because I didn't know how to deal with the pain. And, you know, my body was physically healing up after a year. So I could walk and I could, you know, I, was, I went back to, to uh, community college to see if I could get my brain working mm -hmm. and, and it did. So then I transferred to the Southern Methodist, which was very image focused. You know, it's a lot about a lot of the colleges are sororities and fraternities and how you look and, you know, that whole scene. And my self-esteem just went, sure. so, and eating disorders weren't really common knowledge back then. Mm -hmm. You know, it really, mm -hmm. people really didn't know what it was. And I remember my senior year, I finally went into a counselor and she said, Nicole, you need to get some help. You know, yeah. she said there's uh, Overeaters Anonymous, but mm -hmm. you, you really do need to get some mental help because mm -hmm. you are living in a state of constant trauma that something about else is going to happen to you, right. you know? Right. So I became very controlling as a result of this, you know, I wanted to drive myself. Coping. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. just it with trauma is your body will find, if you don't deal with it mm -hmm. in a healthy way, it will find an unhealthy way right. to adapt to it as a defense mechanism. Exactly. And so that's what mine did. And that's why I talk a lot in my book about trauma and I try to condense it to make it really easy to understand and suppressed memories. Mm -hmm. And that if your parents haven't cleared their trauma, they're going to pass that on to you unconsciously. Right. Right. And my parents both had traumatic lives. My mother was born in uh, the Ukraine, mm. uh, Kiev. And you can see right wow. now we're back at war. They're back at war. So she's right back at World War II, mm. you know, right now. And they never got help. Right. So you are just taught to just get on with it and, right. and, and just suppress it, you know, right. and your body has a way of holding on to that. And there's a great book on that is The Body Keeps the Score. That's such a good book. I recommend that one all the time. It's so yes. good. Yes, because it does. Mm -hmm. And if you don't deal with the emotions, it will come out eventually yep. in a it's gonna physical format and yep. it'll come out and the doctors will be, they're like, there's, I can't find anything wrong on the test. I can't, you know you're fine on this one and fine on that one. And I'm like, well, something's going on because yep. I am belching like a seal. I <laughs> docs, well, your, your GI system's fine. And I'm just yep. like, and then I realized it's emotions. You know, yeah. I finally got to someone who, who did something called neuroemotional technique. Mm -hmm. And he said, Nicole, this is all emotional. Yep. And he said, you have never processed it. You have just kept it like it's, your mm -hmm. head separated mm -hmm. from the rest of your body. And you have never embodied the emotions. And I think yep. a lot of us are taught, you think the emotion, then you process right. it. Like, right. I'm angry at the driver. That's a normal reaction. Right. But I never let my body really feel the anger. Feel it. Yep. Yeah. I never 
let myself feel the shame Mm -hmm. that my parents actually blamed me because I Mm -hmm. had two beers, a cigarette, and I was, I didn't date this guy. I didn't even hardly know him, but I was with a guy. You were in the car, right. Yes. So therefore I'm responsible. I caused it, you know, and it was just really painful to live with that thinking that your parents would love you no matter what. And I think that was when I really started to, I started doubting God in boot camp. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because I was praying that I wasn't going to die out there, you know, seriously. Mm -hmm. And then survival training out in the Rocky mountains, I was Mm -hmm. going, Oh my God, what am I doing? You know, Mm -hmm. this is just like, life and death. And I'm just supposed to push through it like it's nothing, you know? So anyway, fast forward, I, I got out of the hospital, you know, finally I had a lot of injuries that were healing slowly, got into rehab so I could walk again, my wrist functions. Well, I mean, I had, you know, pins and all that kind of stuff put in. So they put me back together physically, but I Mm -hmm. wasn't put back together mentally spiritually or emotionally. And that is a trap. A lot of people get caught in. They think somebody is physically looks okay. So they are okay. And that's not the truth, especially Mm -hmm. with trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think when you have memories come up, like mine did 19 years later, I also had a sexual abuse memory come up from when I was Mm -hmm. eight years old. And it's so hard when people say, well, do you have proof? You know, it's like, how can you trust your memory? And the same thing with the near death. It's like, And I said, you know, I don't know. I was just going about my normal day. And all of a sudden, I knew exactly how I was sitting in the car. One foot was on the dashboard. The other one was crossed over. And I went butt up through the windshield. And I'm going to read a part of the book that really describes that part of the accident because Mm -hmm. it really puts it into perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I went directly to my chiropractor instead of going to work at the CDC because I was like, "Uh uh-oh, something's happening here. (laughs) I'm spinning around insanely fast, like those tilt-a-whirl carnival rides, grabbing the side of the car door. I scream as my side of the car smashes head on into something. What is it? I realize I can't stop anything and my voice fades. I fly out of my seat through the windshield. Around me, glass is shattering like splatter paint. I feel pieces of it cutting into my thighs and legs. God, this hurts. And then something slices my left foot. Bad. I try to shield my face with my hand, my mouth wide open under it. Then I'm in the air for what feels like forever. When I finally hit the ground, I understand that I am going to die. My mind freezes. I scream, oh my God, help me. Then I have one final thought, I'm not going to make it. And that was the truth. So when I got, I froze up in midair, that is when the second part of my memory came the next day. I went home and went to bed Mm -hmm. and he said, the rest of the memory will come Mm -hmm. and you have to trust your body, trust yourself. And so what happened was when I froze in midair and I looked down and I knew I was going to die. I talked about it in the book as Casper the ghost came Mm -hmm. and my soul left. So I did not actually hit the ground with myself still alive. Okay. Now I know it was my grandfather. It was my my father Kerr uh, on my dad's side. And I am now 58. And in August, the book was published in August. And in late August, he came to me in a dream, in a vision. And he said, Nicole, it was me. Oh, my I came gosh. down as an angel. And I had the right parameters, like, you know, Casper the friendly ghost. Yes. And, and that I knew it was male. I've always said it was male. I always knew that it was a young male. And it was when my grandfather was in his 30s, maybe around 33. And so a younger version of him. And he had seen all the abuse I had been raised in and at the academy. And he wanted to get me out of that. Mm -hmm. And my soul wanted to get out of that. Mm -hmm. And so he lifted me up and I didn't have a human form. Okay. I could look down and see my corpse. Oh my gosh. I I had the, you know, I know exactly what I was wearing. And we went to this level, I'll just call it a level up. And 
I heard other beings, other spirits, other angels communicating. It's not in English. I don't know how I understood it, Mm -hmm. but I understood it, you know, Mm -hmm. and they were saying that we, meaning people on earth, need to ask them for help. So we have got to ask angels for help. They're not going to interfere in our lives because of something called free will. Right. Okay. So it's a reminder to have a relationship with your angels. We all have at least one guardian angel. Most of us have more than one. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm now up to five angels. Okay. But, uh, (laughs) you know, it's, um, there's a reason for each one of them being in your life. Most people have one to two. But there there can be as many as five or six, you know, just depending or even more. So that conversation I was privy to. Okay. Mm -hmm. They really wanted me to hear that and get this message out to people. Mm -hmm. Please ask the angelic realm for help. It can be, I know people laugh about parking spaces, you know, like I asked my angel for help with a parking space, (laughs) but then come and it works. You know, it really does. Yeah. So it doesn't, it can be the smallest thing or it can be something really, really big and not to just turn to them when there's, you know, an accident or something, yeah, a problem or something Mm -hmm. bad, you know, to develop that relationship so that you're really comfortable and understanding when you're communicating with them, what they are saying, because it's always going to be for the highest and greatest good of all. Mm -hmm. And that's how I've learned to pray is not a specific outcome, but for the highest and greatest good of all. And I don't know what that looks like, but spirit realm does. Right. And then my message was, I was told I was going to go back down there and I was like, no, (laughs) don't send me back. (laughs) I don't want to get back in that body because I know It's going to be nothing but pain and suffering because I'm going to be dependent on my parents again. I'm going right back into that Baptist church or that Lutheran church, you know, and and back (laughs) into the way I was raised and their belief. Right. I just want to remember this place up here that is just so Mm -hmm. beautiful and has colors that are not even in the Crayola color book, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just in in the music and the just the, you know, it was just. It's absolute beauty, death is, and it was light and it was loving kindness and it was, you know, unconditional love and it was just so soothing. You had no worries. There were no, uh, God was in me. God was, uh, you know, it was mm-hmm. just an amazing presence. And so when he said I was going back, I was like, oh God, no, I don't want to. <laughs> That's probably why I tried to you know, leave so many other times. So many more times, right? <laughs> in the hospital for four months, let me tell you, I was on Valium, Demerol, Morphine, and uh, another one. I was on four different pain. I believe it. I every believe four it. hours for mm. seven weeks. And then my dad says, okay, pull them cold turkey. So she's not addicted. Then Holy I went, cow. oh my God. And then I was like crazy, you know, because oh I, um, so it's just, you know, the pain, it, it just, when you're in pain, that's all you can think about is pain. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're the Dalai Lama. When you're in pain, you're going to be yep, yep. focused on the pain. It's so hard to put the pain body aside and focus on something else. I just yes. don't think that's realistic. And so you've got to get the pain tamper down in order to be able to deal with the other stuff, you know, mm-hmm. the emotional, the spiritual, stuff right. like that. But he said, your message is to tell people not to be afraid of death. Mm-hmm. So if you're not afraid of death, that means you're truly going to live. And so many people are afraid of death. It may be in your subconscious, but you are because your relationship with God is how you're going to relate to death. If you think God is punitive and judgmental, and if you don't do certain things, you're at risk of going to this place called hell and be eternally separated. If you don't do X, Y, Z, that is what's going to happen. And that's the belief I had at 19 was that if I'm a bad girl and I did something wrong and displeased God, my father, that I was going to hell. So that didn't happen at all. Okay. So it completely obliterated that part of God. It does not exist. It is a false belief system that we are taught to keep us in fear and in control. And what I want to say is we've got to stop teaching adults, but mainly kids, this that are growing up because around six and seven is when it really imprints when you start individuating. 
Okay. And I have, when I was seeing clients, I was working with a little six-year-old girl and she was from a fundamentalist church. And she said, Nicole, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be separated from my mommy because she was adopted, you know? And I said, well, how do you see God? And she eagerly just right off the tip of her tongue said, God is a blue spirit with colors and balloons in all different colors, no head and can talk. (laughs) Clearly, this little girl is still having a direct experience with God, no filters from other people. And I was like, I just said a little prayer. I said, I hope you can always remember that because that is the closest explanation to God that I have heard from anybody. Mm -hmm. And I love it because children don't have all those filters yet, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and I was just like, that is beautiful because I remember the colors. I work color all the time in my life. You know, I'm just a color. I just love color. (laughs) Um, So she, you know, and then I had to tell her how's, doesn't exist. You're Mm -hmm. never going to be separated from the love of God and your parents. And she looked at her mommy and she goes, mommy, is that true? And her mommy says, we'll have to talk about it. And uh, (laughs) unfortunately, I never got another appointment with her, but hopefully she'll remember that. And and I'm telling other people because she did give me permission before to, to put it in the book. But I think it's just such a beautiful example when people are trying to to come up with a new concept of God, you know, he's not this, it's not a he that's, it's not a person. It's not a persona, a form in the human form that is up there in the sky, keeping notes, you Mm -hmm. know, it's, that's just not it. And to try to get people to start really understanding what their concept of God is, you know, and not just I'm spiritual or I'm a Christian or I'm like, what does that mean? You know, and I've had a lot of people discuss Jesus with me and I'm like, I love Jesus. Jesus is a way shower. But what I find is Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. And there are so many people in the church that are hypocrites. They are judging people who are lesbian, gay, trans, whatever even females, you can't be this in the church or you can't be that, you know? And I'm just like, if you would just follow Jesus's words, we would not be at war with anybody. Seriously, you know? And so I think to try to emulate his life, that's a high standard for any of us, Mm -hmm. you know? And Jesus even said, you can do all these things that I have done and even greater. He did not put himself above us to say, you have to go Uh, this way, and then up to God. And that is the false belief system is that God is external because God is not. God is internal. We are all sparks of God. And when we leave, what leaves is the soul, the breath. Okay. You think about that. That is energy. So I want people to start thinking of love, not only as the emotion of love, but love as an energy. Right. Because that is what God is. Mm -hmm. God is love. And in my book, I go through the 10 common near death, common lessons from near death experiences. So a group that studies and researches near death experiences came out with this in 2020. And the first lesson is we don't die. And that's true. Our soul, Mm -hmm. our spirit leaves us. Right. And you can see a person when they're dead, they don't quite look the same mm-hmm. without that spirit in right, them. Right. right. Okay. And, and so that's the first one that I want people to really understand is we don't die. Our soul lives on. It mm-hmm. has many lives. This mm-hmm. isn't our first rodeo. Yep. Okay. Yep. And the second is love is all that matters and is the source of all that exists. And if you think about source being God, then if it's the source of all that exists, then that means God is love. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we are love, but what we get stuck in is conditions put on love. I'm only going to love you if you make an A or a B, or if you become good at this or that. I'm not going to love you if you wind up in jail, or I'll never forgive you if you are lesbian or whatever the conditions. Right. Humans, because we're human and have to live in a human world, we have to deal with with those conditions, but we're also spiritual and we need to start 
spending more time on our spiritual life than necessarily the physicality of life mm-hmm. all the time. And that's what my book goes into is more of the spiritual part of life versus the physicality of being on the other side mm-hmm. and seeing this, that, or the other. There's tons right. of books written by other people of what they see and butterflies and whatever it is. It all comes down to it's beautiful, it's light, it's loving kindness, it's, you know, it's all those things. So I don't need to spend time on that. Instead, I'm spending it on these positive lessons. Right. You know, you're, you're not judged. Whoa, isn't that a relief? <laughs> totally. Well, and I think the most powerful part is the messages that were given to you. Like, this is the message that you're going to take back to this, you know, to humanity. I mean, I think that's who cares what it looks like. Like, yeah. like, I think it's like share the message. And so other people can understand, like, I feel like it's, it's like a little bit of insight on why we're here was like mm-hmm. the message given, you know, I think that's yeah. huge. I will say on the other side, it was like, God was all around me. Mm-hmm. I was enveloped in it like a cocoon. Mm-hmm. God was in me. God was me. I was God. It's this pure presence and fullness and uh, and oneness. But most of all, God was love. And yeah. in that state, it was not that I had suddenly been forgiven for my mistakes. It's that they no longer existed. Mm, wow. Nothing I had done on earth was being weighed or measured. Mm-hmm. Okay. It simply was my story and it and the way it had played out in this one realm. Right. So I think that that is so important that we understand that we're not going to be judged because so many people grow up thinking you're going to face judgment day. And that's, that's just not true, you know, and, and it, and it keeps you in fear Mm -hmm. and it keeps you people pleasing and all, all these things that are not the being that you were born to be. Yeah. I don't know if you're, are you familiar with Wayne Dyer? Do you know who Wayne Dyer is? I used to live in Hawaii and he lived on Maui. Right, you did. He lived in Hawaii. I was literally this morning, I, I've read all of his book and I listened to all of his books on Audible this morning. Like what you're saying was exactly what he said. I don't remember which book it was because I have so many of them, but I was listening to one of his books and I was driving and he was talking about this exact thing and how we, we have this like ego driven perception of what God is. And it's this white man with a beard who's in the sky, who's like, you know, waving his finger. And, and so he's talking about this perception that, that our ego has this construct of what we think God is, but it's totally separate from what you're talking about, like this loving kindness and this pure, like light and love. And like, it's a, it's a totally different reality. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And there was a story that he mentioned, and I've heard him say it a few times, a few of his books, but this, there's an avatar a little boy who's an avatar in India. And somebody said to him, like, I'll give you an orange if you can tell me where God is. And he says, well, I'll give you a hundred if you can tell me where he isn't. It's like you're saying when you're up there, like it's in me, it's around me, it's enveloping me. Like it's, you can't escape it. There's nowhere God isn't. Mm -hmm. There was no beginning to God. There is no end to God. Okay. That presence we're crazy to think we're the only living species on a planet. Okay. This solar solar system, there's other ones. I mean, it is so vast. Our mind hasn't even begun. It can't, it can't, yeah, it can't grasp it. There there are actually people that come and incarnate on this planet from other worlds that don't live on earth where there's such divisiveness Mm. and cruelty and disrespect. So it's trying to raise our vibration. And that's what we're all trying to like live through right now is this time of awareness and start treating Mother Earth kinder and with more respect. All sentient beings, not just dogs and cats, but all sentient beings with respect and each other and not to divide based on sexual preference, race, denomination, any of that. Because I will tell you, when I was laying there dead, I don't care if it was a green cricket that brought me back to life. (laughs) It's like, it doesn't matter. We all bleed red. We all bleed red. And it's, we're, and that's actually another one of the lessons is everyone and everything is connected. And Mm -hmm. I think we still in our society have a ways to go to realize that we're all energy and that my energy affects your energy and that we really, I mean, that's, you can tell it when you're around a negative person, yeah. but we have to understand that the whole 
world is energy. God right. is energy. Right. You know, it, right. And so, we're all made from the same. There's there's this um, astrophysicist that has some documentaries out, and he always talks about like we are literally made of stardust, like the same molecules that make up the stars and make up the planets and make up the universe. Like it's literally in us. It's carbon. It's nitrogen. Like it's all of it. Like we're literally all made of. It's all the same thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's why when you look at the breath that leaves us, right. the vapor, yes. you know, and right. when you look or in the winter, when you grow it, you can see your breath. And as soon as that is gone from you, the vapor is the soul moving on, you right. know? And so it, it's like we get so focused on the hum, human part. Right. And right. I, it's not to say, you know, like when someone dies that you're not going to I mean, there's still suffering and there's still grief that you have to work through and pain and loss, but need to teach ourselves or be taught and our kids that there's a cosmic context that is benevolent and extraordinary. And knowing that true context of how greater it is, it's going to cause us to live a happier life Mm -hmm. and to prepare for our own graceful passing and also to support others who are passing right, right. because you are never alone. That's another lesson. As mm-hmm. soon as you begin to make your transition, angels come in, spirit guides, deceased loved ones, you know, they're not in human form, but they are carrying you over to the other side. You are never alone. And mm-hmm. so I think that is such a comforting, I mean, all of these are comforting thoughts. And so that's why I am putting this book out there is to help people to know these. I mean, this is based on hundreds of thousands of near-death experiencers, you know, and and we all come back having most of us the same theme. And that's no coincidence because we certainly don't know each other to get together. (laughs) Okay. My memory come back till 20 years later, you know, and people are, there's still people out there that don't even know that they had one or that they think they had one, but they're not sure. But yeah, it's not as not common as, I mean, it's more common than we think. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's powerful. Well, and I, I love that piece because I, I feel like, and this might like trigger people. So sorry if this triggers you, but I like my, my dad passed away about five years ago or so. And my family, we, he was, he had a lot of health problems. He was in the hospital and we were all around him when he passed. And like you were saying earlier, how like people, they don't look the same when their soul is left. Like it's, it was the most bizarre. And I've you know been to funerals before, but being with someone who dies is a totally different thing than going to a funeral and seeing a body in a, you know, in a casket. And so that was so bizarre to me knowing like, okay, his soul is gone and we watched it leave. And now there's just like the physical part that he was here in. And I've never, I've always felt I've had dreams. He's come to me at dreams. He's come. I, and I believe I have, I have two little kids and I know for a fact, he's come to talk to my son and my son has told me things like, I know he's, he's come to talk to him. And my mom will go to the cemetery every now and then and she'll bring flowers. And I've never, and, and she probably thinks it's me being like, I don't know, lack of emotion or something towards it, but I've never felt the draw to like, cause he's not there. I'm like, he's not in the cemetery. No, no, he's not no. in the ground. Like, I don't, I don't feel the need. I don't feel the nudge. I don't, I don't feel the desire to do it. Cause I'm like, I don't, why? Like he's not there. So I feel more connected just knowing I can talk to him whenever I want, knowing that he's got, you know what I mean? Like it, that feels a lot more. Yeah. Reassuring and comforting yeah. just to be able to know you can talk and you can ask, you know, before you go to sleep at night, right. you know, Dad, if you have a message for me, please make mm-hmm. sure you know I get it either through my, you know, send it in mm-hmm. a way I can receive it mm-hmm. with ease and grace. Yeah. And and they do respond. And you have to be open though. You have to right. be open-minded to what it can be. It may not look okay. like what you want. It can be you actually hear something. It can be through one of your children. It can mm-hmm. be through a song. It can be through lights going on and off all of a sudden. I mean, there's there's different ways they try to get our attention. But we absolutely can, and they want us to have that relationship mm-hmm. and also the relationship with your own soul. Right. And I love what Lee Harris ta- says is at the beginning of your journal, say, what does my soul want to tell me today? Because mm. you need to start establishing a relationship with your soul. Totally. Most people don't know what their soul is, you know, yeah. 
No. And growing up, all I knew was soul music and soul food and <laughs> I was going to hell if I didn't eat <laughs> something. And I'm like, what is the soul that's going to hell? I thought yes. my whole body's going to hell. Yes. And then as a six-year-old, I couldn't understand how I'm going to be on fire all the time. And am I going to eat barbecue all the time? Or <laughs> how do I take a shower? And, you oh know, my it's gosh. Like, but kids take things literally, literally. That, right. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. what I was, you know, and for sure. just like, oh boy, I don't want to be, you know, a burned parch skeleton, yeah. you right. know, and, and right. that's just but, like, yeah, it's scary. That's that, so that's, scary that's, to kids. Whole, it's super scary. Movie. Yes. It's so, so funny you say that too. I literally just posted this on Facebook the other day, but I was basically like acknowledging like my spiritual journey and my soul's path. And that was, that was my statement in there where I was talking about how, because I, same as you, I grew up in very religious communities or grew up in church and Southern Baptist church, all of that. And there comes a point where if you tune in for a second, where you realize you've, you've literally disconnected from your soul. And that was my realization where it's like, I've been so wrapped up in this identity of being the good Christian and following the rules and being the good girl and all of that. Where like you're saying, I had no idea who I was like at the depths of my soul. Like you disconnect from yourself. And so when you're able, not saying you have to throw your religion out the window or throw it in the garbage, but being able to tune in and, and understand like there's a human, there's like a human piece to that, that we, I think a lot of times religious groups and churches they leave out because it's, it's all about following things this way or following the rules or whatever, but we leave out the humanity piece like there's a soul, there's a soul that's involved in this. And we are, as a human, I am separate from the church and from all, you know what I'm saying? And so that was my path too, was realizing like, I am a human, I am a person, I have a soul and I have a path for, for my soul. That's me. I can have my own opinions about things. I can, you know, forge my own. It, it's, it's like you're saying, I think that's such a huge piece to learn is to really get to know yourself, like your soul at like the depths of your soul and that piece of yourself. And to start questioning things, you know, right. we were taught not to question authority That's exactly it. And, then, and doctors and all. And now, you know, it's like most of the wars that have ever gone on in humankind have been in the name of religion, in the name right. of God. And yeah. it's like, oh my God, God's got to be, you know, that is totally not what exactly. he it wanted was this right. killing of other people thinking they've got it right or there's one right way. No one right. owns no one owns God. Right. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. And that's like the biggest paradox of it all. Like killing in the name of God makes zero sense. Like it doesn't it doesn't make no, any no. logical sense. So many things that don't make sense. Yes. When you really yes. start thinking about it totally. and really start trying to pull it apart, you know. Right. And we just blindly believe it. And that's, I mean, that's, of course, what you do. You're raised with two parents. They're your role models. They know everything. And then you have to start realizing that they don't know everything. And they don't know what's best for you always. Because if they don't really know who you are and they're seeing you as a mini me, then that's what they're creating you to be is that many me, you know, and living through you then, which is really unhealthy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that gets into a whole other conversation about codependent relationships and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's, you know, I really am here to help change the worldview, the vibration and the cultural misunderstanding Mm -hmm. surrounding death. And in order to do this, we have to start addressing the difficulties getting there mm-hmm. are fears. And yeah. that's why fear is a low vibration and fear also keeps you from having clarity. Right. When you're making a decision out of fear, you're not clear about it. And so you've got to get into alignment. And that means you've got to understand that you've got the human part, you've got the mind, you've got the soul and you got the spirit and they all need to be addressed. You can't just do with one. And, you know, it's kind of like the wellness wheel. Yeah, you got to take care of the physical body, eat right, sleep, all that. You got to take care of the stress. You got to take care of your emotions. And you've got to take care of your spiritual Mm -hmm. life and what that looks like. And your deal with the concept of God. Deal with what do you think death is going to look like? Mm -hmm. Because we put it off and 
anybody can die at any age. It's not something for old people. Right. And I certainly didn't think I was going to die at 19. I really didn't know. It's like that never even entered my head. Mm-hmm. You know? And especially now with the, the massacres and the shootings that are, you know, at schools and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's just we're living in a world right now where, I mean, there's never been a guarantee, but the risk is higher, you know, than it's been. And children need to know the truth. You know, like my sister lost her husband at 51. I think he was from ALS. And of course, the kids were 10 and 14. And they're like, well, mommy, you're not going to die, are you? And she said, no, I'm not going to die. And I'm like, you be careful what you say, because, (laughs) because if something happened to you, and then they, they're like, well, mommy told us she could, she wasn't right. going to die. You know, right. that's, they're going to have to fill that gap mm-hmm. in themselves, how mm-hmm. that happened. And it's not going to be a logical, right. you know, rationalization. They're right. going to think they did something wrong mm-hmm. or whatever. And I think it's about explaining to them what happens when death occurs, mm-hmm. you know, and that you just don't see them anymore, you know, right. but you still hear them and you can mm-hmm. still talk to them. And that, I don't know, I I just think we have to just do a better job with children and our society instead of the doom and gloom associated with it and the depression and the negativity, understand that their soul has gone home and it it is, they're not disconnected from you and that it really is a beautiful place to go. And a lot of times we want the person to hang around for selfish reasons, even mm-hmm. though their quality of life right. is really gone. They're right. just laying in a bed watching TV. Yeah. And I'm, how many times can you watch Wheel of Fortune or <laughs> whatever, whatever's on, you know, right. um, that's not, I mean, I think our generation is more of this quality instead of quantity of time, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that it's important to prepare yourself early for death, what that means, talk about it as a family, you know, and have these discussions, even though they're hard, they need to be age appropriate. But it's not like, oh, it's never going to happen to me, right. you don't have to worry about it. Because right. that's not the truth. Because nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. Yeah, it's true. 100%. I have a couple questions I want to ask you as we're finishing up here. I wonder if you could, not that you haven't given us enough, but if there's, I don't know, one or two of the biggest lessons. I don't know if lessons is the right word. I like to give people with, leave people with some tangible things here, but there's one or two things that you've learned throughout this whole experience that you can give to people. Like, this is what we need to do now. Like, this is what you do now to be able to connect with your soul, to be able to connect to the spiritual part of yourself, to prepare yourself. Like, what are a couple of things that you would tell people? Like, this is what to do now. You have to heal your trauma wounds. Otherwise you get caught in the loop and your mind will take you back every time to that incident and relive it and play it out at that age. Okay. And you can't control it. So get some help with trauma. And there's a lot of great modalities out there now. There's NET, there's EMDR, there's tapping, there's biofeedback. There's, I mean, talk therapy still works for Mm -hmm. some people, Mm -hmm. you know, so find help with your trauma. And if you are consistently making their patterns in your life that are sabotaging you from what you want, then you've got to deal with that. That means there's something underlying a root cause that is keeping you. There's a, a belief system deep down that you don't deserve something. You're not worthy, not good enough. You're a failure. You have got to get to that root source Mm -hmm. and you've got to pull it out by the root, so to speak, you know, and then the infill comes in and that's when you've cleared this stuff out enough for you to start going, okay, I can say no to my mother without feeling guilty or feeling like I hurt her Mm -hmm. because I was always told, oh, you can't hurt your mother, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. I am 58 years old. It's like, I didn't come here to police her, but I was told I did. And I right. grew up in the South. It said, you know, please, please, please everybody in order to be a good girl. And, yep. and at the end of the day, no, I've come back and have been brought back multiple times now to get this message out to people in a yeah. heartfelt, authentic way. And I'm telling you, I was vulnerable in my book. I talked about my eating mm. disorder. I talked about all kinds of stuff that 
my dad's 10 commandments. I didn't get to spend the night, you know, all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff that the control, the sense of fear growing up and you've got to come to start addressing your fears. So it's the trauma and the fear. And when you start addressing that, you find you have the capacity to love yourself instead of beating yourself up and hating yourself for it's already, you know, January 9th or whatever. And you've already, quote, gone off your diet. So what the heck, you know, and to take should out of your vocabulary, should is always a shame based word and try really take that one out of your vocabulary or not. You either commit to something or you don't because that's committing to you and to take good self-care, however that looks. If you have to say no to people in order for you to have good self-care instead of putting yourself in toxic environments or uh, situations where you know that you're going to be triggered, hibernate. This is winter. Hibernate and start hooking in to people that can help support you. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's, that's perfect advice. I mean, I think that it just summed everything up right there. It was perfect. Thank you. And you can find Nicole's book, You Are Deathless. Where can people find your book? They can find it on Amazon. And it's okay. also on Barnes and Noble and it's at independent stores, but they just have to order it. So it's, yeah. it's distributed through Ingram Spark. So, you know, any of these other stores can get it. But okay. right now the paperback's on sale for $9.99 and then there's a hardback, there's a Kindle. And because of demand, I didn't know that 30% of you guys prefer Audible. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. So I am now reading it. I am, oh, uh, I love it. I'm at seven and a half out of 12 chapters. So I think I should have it ready by spring, but perfect. it is not as easy as you think to read. I believe it. We talk different. Yes. You know, yes. Yes. Much more detailed. So I've had a couple of triggers just just even reading my own stuff aloud. I believe it. I believe it. You know, oh so um, that's I'm excited to announce that's coming out. You yeah. can go to my website, www.nicolecurr.com, and I've got all the podcasts that I've done on them. I've got blogs that I was writing monthly, but now I think since I've undertaken this all myself, <laughs> it's a lot. I think it may be bi monthly, but anyway, there's a lot of information on there. And then if you do have a book club and I can coordinate the time zone, I will be happy to join it. Through, uh, through Zoom oh, I love and that. talk to your book club group if you have any questions about it. So that's I love how it. I feel like it can help you. And it so really is a vocation. And my most important credential, I want to tell you this, out of all the letters of the alphabet after my name is BTDT. Been there, done that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, you have literally been there and done that. <laughs> and I don't want you to have to go the other side to experience Yes, this. yes. I love it. Oh my gosh. Okay. The last question I want to ask is one that I like to ask everybody as we finish up. What do you think is the most important thing you can do to live with purpose? I think the most important important thing you can do to live with purpose is to love yourself unconditionally. Mm. That is not an easy task. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says, thinks, does. It's your heart, getting in touch with your soul and your heart and finding your path forward and the voice Mm. to voice it. I love it. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Nicole. This was Amazing. Your story is, I mean, it's just changing lives and I love it. And I know everybody listening is just, I mean, there's so many things to take away here. Thank you for using this incredibly traumatic experience to change people's lives and to raise the vibration of this planet. This is just, this is amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. And you welcome, you know, and hey, it's divine timing. This took 40 years, almost 40 years. So those of you who think, oh, I missed, you know, (laughs) there's always a divine timing for things in your life. So trust that process, you know? That's right. That's right. I love it. Thank you, Nicole. You're welcome. Thank you, Hope. Thanks for listening to Hopeful and Wholesome, y'all. If you found value in this week's episode, please subscribe on iTunes wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review to let me know what you thought. I love to know what you find useful in these episodes so I know how I can provide the most value I can to my listeners. And if you have topics that you want to know more about, I'd love to hear those as well. 
So shoot me a message on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. It's at the Hope Pedraza or visit my website, hopefulandwholesome.com. Thanks, y'all.